Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. An area that I've been talking a lot about is Bitcoin versus gold. So right now in the environment that we're in, um, a lot of investors are concerned over those rising rates. Roxana, thank you for uh, joining me this week. Yes, it's, it's always good to be here, Nate. So it looks like this is finally the week for a spot Bitcoin ETF approval. And it's funny, I was trying to decide who might be more excited about that. Uh, listeners, because they won't have to hear me talk about this anymore, or the Vetify team. Because I feel like uh, you and Dave and uh, Todd and Laura, really the entire team, I have to believe you all are tired of me suggesting this as a, a topic. Though my sense is you're probably the least fatigued of uh, anybody on the team. But h- how are you feeling about this entire thing? Yeah, it's it's really weird to think that this might be coming to a close finally because it's, it's been going on for so long. And, you know, I have mixed feelings because, like everyone else, I cover a lot of areas. And I, I feel like crypto ETFs and lately the spot Bitcoin ETFs, that's just been a majority of what I've been doing and looking at. So it would be nice to spend some time in some other areas. But, you know, like I said, it, it just feels like I can't believe it's coming to a close. It's almost like... What will we talk about now? I mean, I know there's still a lot happening in the ETF world for sure, but it's just always been so fun to just come back to this topic week after week. Um, there's just been so much going on in it, and so much of it has been new and unprecedented. So it's just been really exciting every step of the way. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's funny. I keep getting people um, basically asking me, like, what are you going to talk about on your podcast once this is over? What are you going to tweet about? Uh, And I don't know that I have a great answer for them. So I'm going to have to uh, get back into the... uh, the, the ETF, you know, foundational topics, uh, which I enjoy, but this has been fun covering. So, look, let's do this. Let me briefly set the table here with where everything stands, and then there are several specific topics I want to get into. Um, we currently have 11 ETF issuers still alive in this race, or at least ones who could potentially launch soon. Now, the final registration statements were submitted to the SEC this morning, And that was after some back and forth yesterday. And best I can tell, it sounds like the SEC will uh, vote on approval tomorrow, which is Wednesday. That's done by the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets on the 19B4s, which those are the exchange rule changes to uh, allow these products to list and trade on the uh, exchanges. And then by the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance on the S1s, which are the registration statements. Uh, I, I, I guess first, I mean, I, I'm assuming you are expecting these to be approved. Yeah, I mean, I, I was already in the camp that they were going to be approved a while back. I mean, once Grayscale won its lawsuit, I think that was basically the deciding factor for me. And then we had the Ether Futures ETF launch, and that, that sort of just confirmed it. And then, I mean, we also know the SEC, they've been in talks, in communication with these issuers, um, over the past few weeks, few months, um, and a lot of that has been over the holidays. So it just doesn't seem logical that they would put all these time and resources and efforts into into this if they weren't planning on approving these products. And if if you really look at 
um, some of the communications and some of the comments that they've, they've put out in these filings. It's not just the timing, it's, it's the speed in which they're commenting and corresponding. It seems to me that they're trying to get everything um, approved and squared away by the 10th. I, I agree. I mean, at this point, with all of the back-and-forth communication between the SEC and issuers, to uh, now deny, and, and really I would say even delay at this point, I think would be a, uh, a huge surprise. Um, and, and by the way, I should note, I, I was mentioning the SEC commissioners or, or the SEC voting. My understanding is that the SEC commissioners aren't actually voting on this. It's actually the SEC staff that is under delegated authority from the commissioners. Um, so I, I just want to make that note, that SEC staff, again, the Division of Trading and Markets will approve the 19B4s and then the uh, Division of Corporate Finance on the S1s. Uh, Roxana, let's talk about some of the competitive dynamics here, uh, assuming we get approval. And, and let me run through the 11 filers here just real quick, if, if you'll bear with me. So we have uh, Grayscale, ARC-21 shares, iShares, Bitwise, VanEck, Wisdom Tree, Invesco Galaxy, uh, Fidelity, Valkyrie, um, Hashdex, who I'll, I'll be visiting with here shortly, and then Franklin. Assuming these are approved, I, I'm curious how you think things might play out here. And, and, and first, let's just start with demand. What, what type of initial demand are you expecting from these ETFs? Um, I think we'll we'll see a, a healthy amount of demand. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of record or a record being broken. So, I mean, you you have demand from institutional clients who they are restricted to trading only securities. You have demand from these new retail clients who want the the simplicity and safety of holding Bitcoin in their brokerage account. And then you maybe have some cannibalization from the Bitcoin futures ETF, and then also some short term volume from investors who just want to capture that rally. So. You know, without any fancy forecast, um, you know, I think we'll see at least a billion of inflows in, in a couple of days. And that's probably a little conservative because I think that's, that's about how much uh, a, a GLD had in its first couple of days. And, and Bitto hit that amount within the first few days as well, first day as well, I think. So I would be really surprised if it didn't hit about a billion in inflows in the first day or two. Did you see the uh, rumor floating around that BlackRock has something like $2 billion lined up to put into the iShares Bitcoin ETF pretty quickly? I thought that was interesting. And, you, you know, really, I, I think I've seen Bitwise acceding with uh, $200 million. Uh, Van Eck, I believe I saw yesterday, something like $75 million. We know that ARK was previously invested in GBTC. They divested that. They put, some, I think, like half of that into uh, Bitto. But I, I think it's reasonable to assume that they'll ultimately replace that GBTC holding in full with their own ETF. I think that bring-your-own-assets dynamic could be pretty interesting. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that will be very interesting when looking at the demand. I mean, like I said, I think a billion is, is pretty conservative. I think it'll 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 probably be a, a little bit higher than that um, considering, you know, all the different issuers in the game, especially the ones that you mentioned, like like BlackRock and, and ARC21 shares, um, just players that have really been uh, not only involved in the, in the ETF world, but also the players that have been involved um, in the crypto world. So you sort of have like the best of two worlds coming together here. And, and so you're going to have a lot of um, interesting dynamics going on between the players and where, where we'll see demand go. Yeah, and let's talk more about that. In, in terms of competition, 
Let's assume that Grayscale's GBTC does uplist on the same day everyone else launches, which I think that's what's going to happen. I, I think there are still some people who think that that may not, and, and I can understand where they're coming from on that. But I, everything that I'm seeing, I have to assume GBTC is going to uplist on the same day everybody else launches. And you can feel free to comment on that if you'd like. But handicap the race for us. Like, who do you think might have the most early success? Yeah, I think um, fees fees are definitely important, um, and, and we've seen this in the, the Ether Futures launch, too. So I think um, the guys with the lowest fees, um, so, you know, I'm looking at someone like Bitwise or ARC21 shares or iShares. Um, these guys will have probably a bigger advantage, especially right out the gate. Um, you know, out of those three, I don't know, I'm kind of leaning more towards Bitwise and ARC21, so sort of, um, you know, taking, like, I guess you could call it like an underdog because a lot of people are looking at iShares right now. So, you know, I feel like the crypto ETF world isn't exactly the same as the ETF world. So if you look at like the, the crypto equity ETF space, like the thematic blockchain and crypto industry ETF, um, the big guys like iShares and Fidelity have products there, but they aren't really the market leaders within that space. But, you know, that could also have to do with inception date. So if we're, we assume that everyone gets approved at the same time, um, which I think most of us believe has been happened. And um, it's possible there's not even really going to be one clear winner, like with the Bitcoin futures ETFs and Bitto. Um, there's probably going to be a few that grab a considerable amount of assets. So I think it's just it's going to be a race among the ones with the lowest fees. Yeah, I think fees clearly are going to be extremely important here. And I, I actually have the list of uh, everyone's fees here. This is a lot of data, but I, I think it's important. So let me go through this very quickly. Um, Bitwise is the lowest cost provider at 24 basis points. ARC21 shares is at 25 basis points. VanEck is at 25 basis points. Uh, Franklin is at 29 basis points. iShares is at 30. Uh, Fidelity at 39. And then let's see, uh, Wisdom Tree at 50 basis points. Valkyrie at uh, 80 basis points. Hashtex at 90. And then Grayscale uh, at 1.5%. Um, did, did that surprise you at all? Grayscale, you know, the, that trust was at 2%, and it has something like $27 billion in assets. I, I was a little surprised by that. I'm, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were on the higher end compared to everybody else, but I was surprised they were at 1.5%. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was – it was pretty surprising, but I guess um, given that they're a conversion, you know, they're, they sort of don't have uh, – the need to have as much competitive edge as some of these other products um, might need. You know, I think this is something that we sort of expected um, when we were, um, you know, first looking at these products. You know, we knew that these were all going to be identical, basically identical products, right, launching at the same time. So these fees would have to be competitive. Um, so especially for these these newer launches, I think that, that's, a, that's, that's just a huge um, deal breaker. So, you know, when, when I was looking at these, I was a little surprised with the fee waivers, honestly. Um, I didn't really expect those. But, you know, there's some, some really um, low and interesting fee waivers there. Um, but, you know, looking at the overall fees, I, I'm not, you know, completely surprised with, with what we have here. Um, I was sort of looking at the physically backed gold ETFs as sort of a gauge. And I know GLD has a, a 40 basis point 
uh, fee, and then IAU has a 25 basis point fee. So I was thinking between that range, like 25 to 40 basis points, and, and that's actually sort of what we see here on the lower end. I know we have a, a couple that are on the, the higher end, but that, that's, that's essentially what we're seeing here. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not completely surprised with how this played out. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I actually said this yesterday. Um, I, I still think it's pretty mind-boggling that these ETFs are debuting in the same fee range as physical gold ETFs, just because those physical gold ETFs have been on the market for, what, 20 years now and been competing with each other. I, I think it's just it's pretty amazing and a huge win for investors that spot Bitcoin ETFs are rolling out around the same you know neighborhood in in terms of fees uh again i just think that's a win for investor investors you mentioned the fee waivers so for listeners just to give an example here uh like arc 21 shares they are waiving the fee that 25 basis point fee all together for the first six months uh or one billion in assets uh i shares first six months uh, or five billion uh bitwise First six months and, and one billion, and then Invesco Galaxy uh, six months and, and five billion. Yeah, you know, it's pretty good. I think with fee waivers, it's a nice perk. Um, I think historically in the ETF space, I don't know how big of a demand driver that is. I'm not sure most investors are going to make decisions based on those initial fee waivers. I think they'll look at the longer term expense ratio. But again, it is a it is a nice perk here. Um, I, I guess looking at other competitive factors here, Roxana, is, is there anything in particular you would point to? I mean, will, will marketing make a difference here? What about platform access? You know, wirehouses gating uh, access to to spot Bitcoin ETFs, things like that. Are, are, are there anything or is there anything else that you think will make a big difference in this race? Yeah, I think we can't really underestimate the power of, of marketing and, and name recognition. Um, so with these spot Bitcoin ETFs, we talk a lot about this new retail in- investor that's sort of um, nervous to get into Bitcoin. But now they see that if there's an ETF that they could buy in their brokerage account, that they'll go into it. So, you know, maybe someone like that, um, someone who's, who's more into the retail world and not in the crypto world, uh, may not have heard of someone like Bitwise. Um, but, you know, they've heard of iShares. So, if you're a little bit nervous about crypto, uh, maybe you might think it's safer to use one of these big guys with scale and liquidity. So, um, you know, I think that could could also be a huge deciding factor, especially when you're looking at um, some of these retail investors out there. Yeah, I think that's a good one to point to. And it's actually something I'm going to talk a little bit about with uh, with Bruno from Hashdex because and you and I may have talked about this before, but what I call crypto street cred in that I agree with you. I think given this is an emerging asset class in Bitcoin and you think about your quote unquote boomer investors, they may feel much more comfortable investing in emerging uh, asset class with well-known brands and, and asset management like your BlackRock's and, and Fidelity. So I, I completely agree with that. On the other hand, I can see a scenario where if let's say you have advisors with model portfolios that are already loaded up with a bunch of iShares and Vanguard ETFs in the core of the portfolio on their you know equity and bond allocations, that maybe there's some cachet to having a crypto native fund provider um, you know behind the Bitcoin ETF. That that perception wise, that will you know look like the advisor is on top of crypto by investing with a Bitwise or, or Hashdex or, or even a, a Grayscale. So we'll see. I, I think I'm more in your camp in that. Obviously, those big brand names and asset management um, will, will likely 
have more success. But I do think there is a, a niche to be carved out here by the crypto native fund players. And the other aspect here, which I, I have talked about before, but I think is important to reiterate, is that I, I think of somebody like Bitwise. You know, all that firm does is eat, sleep, and breathe crypto. They, they do it 24-7. And so if you're an advisor and you want research on Bitcoin and crypto and want to understand all the underlying dynamics in terms of what's going on in the market so you can then educate your clients, I would think that Bitwise would be in a better position to do that than some of these other firms. I, I, I could be wrong. That's just my my take, right? That's an example of a firm who's been doing this for a while, and, and that's all they do. They specialize in it. And so maybe that could be you know, part of the calculus here, too. I don't know if you have any quick comments on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it could it could play out both ways. Um, you know, like I said, just because we're sort of expecting all of these to come out, um, launch at the same time, um, you know, I don't think there, there might not even be one clear winner. Um, you know, we might have several of these that have a similar amount of assets just because, you know, there's people in both camps. There's people who, who want, you know, the, those native crypto players, and then there's people who are newer to um, – Bitcoin, and, and they maybe want like a BlackRock or a Fidelity. So, you know, I think you could go both ways, and, and maybe there's space in, in the market to have, you know, multiple uh, leaders in, in this in this space. Well, I think what we do know is it is going to be a wild uh, week, maybe next month to say the least. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, it's uh, a week that has been, what, 10-plus years in the making. So I, I can't wait for this. I hope you enjoy all of the uh, – fireworks here and uh, i'm sure we'll have a few unexpected twists and turns but uh, thank you for joining me this week roxana yeah thank you that was roxana islam head of sector and industry research at vetify